Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. He is an expert on junk bonds and has just come out with a new book called How to Make Money with Junk Bonds, issued by and published by McGraw-Hill. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and your expertise in junk bonds. Okay. Uh, I have uh, been involved in junk bonds since the 1980s, uh, first at Kidder Peabody, where I co-headed the junk bond department, uh, which is sales, trading, research, and origination. And then uh, at Nomura Corporate Research and Asset Management, where I was president, CEO, and chief investment officer of a junk bond company, asset management company, that uh, when I left had about $14 billion in assets, and when I started had nothing. So let's just start at the basics here. Uh, tell us what a junk bond is. Why are they called uh, junk bonds? Okay. It's an unfortunate name. It, it started uh, with Mike Milken and, and Drexel Burnham, uh, when he first uh, got involved in junk bonds in the 1980s. Uh, a junk bond is a bond rated below investment grades by Moody's and S&P, and that means it would be double B, single B, or triple C. There are there's more than a trillion dollars, maybe one, two, one point three trillion dollars of junk bonds uh, uh, in the market. And there are more than a thousand issuers, so it's a fairly sizable asset class. And in general, how have junk bonds compared, performed on a total return basis compared to high-grade corporates and treasuries over the last twenty years or so? Well, uh, they've performed very competitively. In fact, not only have they uh, uh, done better than treasuries and high-grade bonds, but they're very competitive with equities, depending on which time period you use. For the time period from my book, they, they fundamentally outperformed equities, both on a return basis and on a risk-adjusted basis, return per unit of risk or volatility. And is that because the yields they're offering are so much higher that you're off to a good start from the beginning? Exactly. The, the high coupon compounded over years is very compelling. Well, how could you compound it if you, you can't reinvest it back in the same bond? Maybe with funds you can, but with individual exactly. bonds you can't really compound it. Unless you reinvest uh, the coupons. But certainly compounding uh, individual bonds depends on the, on the yield environment at the time. That's true. But, but in any event, the yield environment is far superior to, to the higher quality brethren. Yes. Now, your first chapter is what you call Junk Bonds and Strong Horses. Uh, you talk about the strong horse investing style or method. Uh, describe what that is. Sure. Um, what's interesting about junk bonds is that uh, you, one knows what a bond is worth at, at maturity. It's worth par at maturity. And so when you invest in junk bonds, you really – uh, trying to uh, ascertain or assess whether the company will repay you your principal at maturity. And so that's credit analysis. And the strong horse method 
is the method I use to perform credit analysis. I mean, think about a, uh, a horse in a wagon where the horse is pulling the wagon up the hill. The wagon is the debt loads. The horse is the strength of a company's operations. And the way I do analysis is I try and determine whether the horse is strong enough to pull that debt load up the hill. Can it do it easily? Is it sweating when it does it? Uh, uh, can it support its heavy debt load? Does it generate enough cash flow, excess cash flow, not only to meet its debt obligations, but is it strong enough to, to reinvest in the business, both R&D and capital expenditures for the future? And what is the overall default rate on junk bonds? I know it varies to some extent, but uh, well, is it something yeah. that... I mean, on average, the default rate on junk bonds has been about 4%, but it varies. I mean, during periods of high recessions or uh, during a bleak you know, financial crises, the default rate can go to 10%. Is that what happened, for example, in 2008? Yes. And, and, and it was interesting in 2008 because if uh, one held on to their investments, they would have had a fairly uh, sizable recovery. But if one panicked, uh, then um, you know they, they uh, got, had huge losses. You know, one thing that that people forget in junk bond investing is that. When you invest in a junk bond, you're essentially lending money to a company. If you believe that that company will repay you, then you shouldn't, out of fear, uh, sell your bonds. You know, there were companies uh, in 2008, you could have picked up uh, a very, very high-quality uh, the bonds of high-quality companies such as Hospital Corp of America at 70, which is now 109. So um, you have to remember you're lending money to a company, and you have to look at the investment that you make. Or hopefully, if you're invested uh, in a fund or, or an ETF, that whoever's watching out for your money understands that. So at the peak, it was 10%. What has the default rate been lately? Uh, the fall rate now is, I think, about 2%. And do you anticipate that changing anytime soon? No. No, I think that uh, uh, my view of the economy is that it may drift down very slightly, but it's not going to be uh, so bad that it increases the fall rates. Now, there are different kinds of junk bonds. There are some that I guess you'd call kind of rising stars, the younger companies that haven't had a long history to be able to get investment grade. And then there are, I guess you call them fallen angels, what used to be investment grade, but for whatever reason fell into the junk bond category. Is there a difference in the way you want to invest between those two kinds of companies? Well, yeah. And, and there's actually a third type, which is the largest component, and that's uh, the junk bonds – uh, associated with funding a private equity transaction. Mm-hmm. And that's really the bulk of the, the junk bonds that are issued. It's to fund uh, private equity transactions. And so when you do that, uh, the company is being saddled with a lot of debt. Those usually Correct. work out okay or, or sometimes it doesn't? Well, they most of the time they work out okay and sometimes they fail. 
uh, you know, not all private equity investors are the same, and sometimes the environment, the competitive environment, to to buy these companies is is so severe that they pay too much, and when uh, debt levels, when when uh, coupons and yields are so low, they try and put as much debt on the company's books as possible to maximize their return, and then those companies could fail. So is there a difference, like in the 1980s, you had the kind of raiders, the Ivan Boskis and Milkins of the world, doing extremely high leverage junk bonds. Is it less leverage today when they do use junk bonds for doing a takeover? Um, well, I, I would say today might be less leverage than the 80s. I'd like to make a point about the 80s, though, because that was not a typical period. You're correct that there was a lot of green mail and, and hostile takeovers, and, and many people who were – many CEOs who were substantial political contributors lost their job, and Congress took notice of that. It was under uh, President Bush 41 – who, uh, during his tenure, uh, I would say that the, the wheels of government really turned against junk and, and, uh, you know, the insurance regulators, the savings and loan companies, even the IRS and the Attorney General's office all, uh, were investigating, uh, all aspects of junk bonds. You know, the Federal Reserve had restrictions on lending money to Quote, quote, highly leveraged transactions. And so that was really uh, the difficulty in the 80s had a lot to do with the federal government trying to uh, minimize the impact of junk bonds and hostile takeovers and green mill. But, you know, so, when Drexel went under and Milken uh, went to jail, um, the government stopped its efforts and there were no longer hostile takeovers, quote, hostile takeovers, but there were private equity transactions that, that rose like a phoenix. So the junk bond market changed from financing hostile takeovers to more private equity transactions, exactly. and that's something that the government did not go after, you're saying? That's correct. So, uh, so that was a good time to buy junk bonds, I guess, when the government was going after them and they were very much out of favor. If they were able to uh, survive, I mean, the, 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 the default rate was high at that time because a lot of the companies had liquidity problems because the Federal Reserve was was really uh, not letting these companies have access to the to the bank market, and and uh, and then the bond market was essentially closed at that time because of some of the things the federal government did that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, one way to, to guess, um, get a sense of the undervaluation or overvaluation of junk bonds is the spread of, of junk over treasuries. Correct. What is a typical spread, and when is it wide, and when is it narrow, and where does it stand today? Well, um, today the, uh, the, the yield on junk bonds, and there are different indices, so it's really hard to um, pick one, but let's say the yield is a little bit more than 8%, 8.2, and the 10-year treasury is 1.5%, and the spread would be the difference between the two. Now, now, right now, spreads are wide, 
but yields are low because treasury rates are so low. Is that an unusually wide yield, 7% or so? You know, 7% is is not a a particularly wide yield, but the spread, to call it 5.5%, is is wide. So is that telling you that investors are are cautious and uh, don't want to take risks? That's why they're pouring into treasuries? Yeah, and I think that that uh, uh, investors are cautious and in pouring into treasuries because they don't want to take risk. I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah, okay. All right, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. Uh, he is an expert in junk bonds and has just come out with a new book called How to Make Money with Junk Bonds, uh, published by McGraw-Hill. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and is the co-founder of BR Public Relations, who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to The Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. Uh, He is the author of a new book called How to Make Money with Junk Bonds. He is an expert on high-yield junk bonds. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Thank you. You have a chapter called My Son's Friend Millie, and <laughs> right. what does Millie have to do with junk bonds? Well, uh, I wrote the book as uh, an educational book to explain junk bonds to uh, the average reader, and uh, I came up with Millie and then Billy uh, to ease people into the concept of debt and, and business risk. So it's a, it's a way for people to, who aren't familiar with finance to, uh, to ease into reading the book 
and have an understanding of what I was trying to accomplish. And people have told me, actually, that they liked that beginning, and it, and they kept going and then learned a lot. So just maybe just give us the basics of how this works and the point you're trying to get across with Millie. Well, Millie has a... Uh, uh, a messenger company and, and, uh, uh, she has to borrow money to, to buy a new bicycle and, and, uh, my quote son has to determine whether he should lend her the money. And then, uh, in another chapter, you know, he has a thousand dollars and he's trying to figure out whether he should go to Florida for his summer vacation, uh, college break or, or wait a year, and uh, when Millie is there to, uh, you know, to to be with her, and I go through the different investment options he has in order to um, uh, get enough money to go to Florida. And then the third chapter, you know, Millie is now uh, uh, an entrepreneur, has a uh, uh, a messenger service with cars and bikes, and and she's competing with another. A messenger company called Billy, and she decides to do a leverage buyout of Billy's business. And uh, we go through in the chapter whether it makes sense to lend Millie the money to acquire Billy's company at, uh, and that company has no profit but generates cash flow. And we talk about whether that makes sense or not. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, the ratings of uh, junk bonds. Uh, there are kind of high class, uh, high rated junk bonds and low class, lower rated ones. Right. Tell us the difference between like a, a double B and a C bond. Is okay. The yield difference and kind of just tell us a little bit about the difference between the different ratings within the junk bond category. Sure. Well, uh, the highest quality junk bond would be a double B rated company. Which currently yields 5.75 percent. Uh, a single B would be the next level down. That's yielding 7.7 percent. And the lowest quality junk bond that's not defaulted is a triple C, and that's yielding about over 12 percent. So, so you go from higher quality to, to lowest quality. Now, one, one thing that's interesting is that. The triple C sector is really the sector that distinguishes one manager from another manager or one investor from another investor. Uh, the triple C sector is, is the last, I say it was the first to go down during a downturn and it's the last to recover. But when it recovers, it recovers more than the single B and the double B sector. So over a longer period of time, the triple C sector actually does better than the single B and double B, but it's far more volatile. So are you saying it's worth it to pay, uh, you know, to get the 12% yield to take that kind of risk for the most part? It usually works out? Well, um, that's a difficult question to answer. It really depends on the ability of someone to invest. In, uh, in that, in the asset class. And I have a chapter on, on, uh, mutual funds, high yield or junk bond mutual funds. And the, uh, triple C bonds, the, di- the difference in performance between the, uh, 
the managers were, during the uh, huge downturn in 08 and recovery was the difference was how they invested in triple C. And, and during that extremely volatile time, the, the managers who had more of a, a total return approach, meaning investing more in double B and single Bs, did better than those investing in triple Cs during that two-year period. So um, triple Cs are not for the faint of heart. Uh, requires a lot of analysis. And uh, if you're doing it yourself, I'm not sure I would recommend individuals without experience doing it themselves, but if you're looking for a manager, um, there are managers that do focus on on, on that sector, uh, and the investment objectives in, in that prospectus would say they, they look for high current income. And then there are other managers, if you look at the uh, prospectus and the investment objectives, would say they look for high total return, which is capital appreciation and current income. And you have to read that carefully because it's extremely important. Let's talk about the different ways of buying junk bonds. One is to buy individual bonds. Correct. Another would be mutual funds, open-end mutual funds. There are closed-end mutual funds. Right. And there are exchange-traded funds that have I right. guess there's also unit investment trusts, right? Right. What would be the pros and cons of investing in individual bonds or some of those structured products? Um, well, an, an individual bond requires a lot of analysis on the part of the individual and requires uh, a substantial nest egg in order to have a diversified portfolio. So uh, you need both. You need the, the time and the ability, and, the, and, and you also need the money to create a diversified portfolio. Like how big I a portfolio would, should you have for single bonds? Well, you know, a minimum of 20 and more would be better. The 20 bonds? 20 bonds. And each bond being 5,000, or what, do you, what would you count for one bond? No, I, you know, I, uh, if, if you're only buying 5,000, then... Um, you're gonna, your cost will be too high. I think, I think each bond would, you know, if you can do a hundred thousand, it would be better. So, so for most people, they're not gonna buy individual bonds. So that's a two million dollar portfolio, you're saying. Right. Twenty bonds and a hundred thousand each. Right, right. So, so most people, my guess would be investing either in ETF or in a mutual fund. I personally prefer a mutual fund to an ETF because it's managed. An ETF is, is really designed to mimic an index, and if a bond fails in that index, uh, the ETF is still going to, uh, to buy it. So uh, ETF has an advantage, the immediacy of the transaction, uh, liquidity, and a fund has the advantage of being professionally managed. And what has been the track record of ETFs versus mutual funds in similar categories of drug bonds? Um, uh, well, you know, it's been all over the place. I mean, some, some ETFs, some years ETFs have done better than junk bonds, but I think this year actually the ETFs have done worse than, than, than the junk bonds. But I, I'm actually, I haven't really looked at that recently, so I'm not 100% sure that's still the case. Are, are there a few ETFs 
the specific ones that you like, particularly in junk bonds, and what would those be? Uh, well, the, the, the there are two uh, the two largest ETFs would be uh, HYG, which is about I think it's like fourteen and a half billion, and JNK, which is about ten and a half billion dollars. ETFs of late have taken uh, a, a larger and larger chunk of the investors' money. I think right now the latest figures I saw was about 28% of all uh, individual investor money was uh, in junk bonds was going into junk bond ETFs, 28%. So there's more going into mutual funds. Okay. Uh, so those are the main two junk bond ETFs that you would recommend? Are there are a lot well, of other ones. I, I don't or? know if I'd recommend them. As I said, I prefer funds more than than uh, ETFs. But those two account for about ninety percent of all retail money into junk bond ETFs. I see. Okay. And then in the uh, let's talk about open end mutual funds first. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what are some of the better names that have had a long track record in open end junk bond funds? Oh, uh, boy. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not really comfortable mentioning names of, of the different funds. Uh, you know, I've, I've really spent more of my time analyzing individual credits. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there are a lot of funds out there that I haven't looked at that could be quite good. So I'm really not, not, not comfortable so how, how could people, recommending using funds. your information, pick the better junk bond open-end funds? Without naming individual names, what's just what's yeah, the procedure? I, mean, I, I would uh, talk to my broker. I would look at different research reports, such as Morningstar. Um, uh, there, there are lots of uh, sources of information for for the performance of different funds and the investment objectives of the different funds. Okay, and then how about closed end funds? Uh, oh, do a lot of them trade at discounts and asset value in the junk bond space? You know, again, you know, closed-end funds are sold by by the brokerage community, and uh, I, I'm really not an expert on on the closed-end funds. Okay. Um, all right, but those are the main main ways that people can buy junk. You're saying, for the right. most part, though, people should do it as a packaged product as opposed to individual bonds, unless they have a huge amount of of money. That's correct. Okay. Um, all right. So. Uh, now, some would say junk bonds have more of an equity play than an income play. Why would that be? Well, I think that if, if, if one studies the, the return and the volatility characteristics of junk bonds, they're sort of in between bonds and stocks. Uh, you know, when a company, you know, it, the performance of the bond is influenced dramatically uh, by the, uh, the performance of the underlying company. Uh, you know, if the stock market goes down, most likely the junk bond market will go down. Uh, if the bond market, if yields rise a lot, then most likely junk bonds will go down with the rest of the bond market. So they have characteristic. It's a bond, so it's closer to, to, to the bond market, but it, but it's dependent on the performance of companies, so it's dependent on the stock market. So it's a little, it's a little both. It's in between the two. But the advantage is you're getting much higher yield than you would with a stock, common stock of the same company. You're getting, yeah. I mean, a lot of people. This is that's a very important point. You know, a lot of people 
uh, will buy the stock of a company and they'd be afraid to buy the, quote, junk bond because it's called junk. Nevertheless, it's the same company that they're, you, know, you have the bond of the stock of the same company and the, the only way that the bond doesn't repay you is if it goes bankrupt. But if, if the company went bankrupt, then the stock would be worthless and the bond would be worth something. So it's sort of logically crazy to to be afraid of the bond because of the credit concerns. So what happened, for example, the General Motors case, when General Motors did go bankrupt? The shareholders got wiped out, but the, the junk bond holders do okay? Well, in General Motors' case, uh, in in most bankruptcies, the uh, bondholder does much better than uh, the shareholder. In most yeah. bankruptcies, like, for example, the recovery rate this year, I'm told, uh, for the junk bonds is about 50%, so that you lose half your value, but you get half back, whereas shareholders will get nothing back. Yeah. That's in most cases. In the General Motors case, it was a little bit different because the government... Uh, was involved in providing some value to employees and those values that those were taken from the bondholders. Now, now that, that's unusual, but I, I have to say that in bankruptcy, uh, it, it, anything is possible. You know, bankruptcy is, is one of those areas where people play with sharp elbows. And they're always trying to gain an advantage over others. And so because with the government's help, the bondholders lost some value, uh, there are lots of times when uh, when hedge funds get involved, uh, bondholders can lose value as well. So, Very good. In general, uh, recovery rates currently are about 50%. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. Uh, his new book is called How to Make Money with Junk Bonds. He is a junk bond expert. And we'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Rivez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. 
Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. Uh, he is the author of a new book, How to Make Money with Junk Bonds, and he is a junk bond expert. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Thank you. You have a chapter on how to conduct a strong horse analysis. In other words, these are the companies that you think are going to uh, be able to maintain their cash flow and uh, pay on their junk bonds. They're the best ones to buy. Without right. getting into the great detail of it, how should one conduct a strong horse analysis? Okay. Um... Well, in the book, I talk about uh, three types of risk, business risk, financial risk, and covenant risk. Uh, business risk is the strength of a company's operations. It's very similar to what an equity analyst would do. And, and so what you do is uh, uh, the first thing you, you'd like to do is, is to see whether the company's trend is positive, whether its trend in revenues and earnings are positive. It's, if it's negative, that's not really good. You, know, you want to see growth. You want to see improvement. Um, so the first thing is, is look at uh, the, the, the trend in earnings and profits. Uh, it's nice if you understand whether the, the company is, is large, large enough, is, is a large company, whether its, it's uh, cost structure is competitive with, its, with its other companies in the same industry, whether it has, the company has a, a history of, of paying its debt and it's never gone bankrupt before. Uh, I have some principles of financing. You, know, you, you, know, you want a company not to have too much debt, you want and and so um, uh, to do the strong horse analysis, uh, you first go to the SEC database and uh, SEC.gov and pull up pull down the company's financials. Uh, the SEC is good enough under Reg FD to provide all those financials to you. And, and those financials will contain several years of revenues, earnings, and uh, then you subtract the, the uh, costs from the revenues to get to companies' profits. And compare that profit to uh, the amount of debt the company has and its interest expense. These are backward-looking, though. I mean, could something change in the business that would dramatically increase the business risk? I mean, an example... It would come to mind would be Kodak, which was a very right. dominant company for a long time, and then their business completely fell apart. 
So how do you kind well, of look forward and not just look backward on business risk? Well, yeah, you, you, you certainly have to look forward, but you first have to have a basis to compare the, 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 to see where the company's going. In Kodak's case, Kodak had several years of declining revenue and earnings, and so the trend was negative, and that would be a company that you don't want to invest in. The first line of defense is the trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second second line of defense is is the ability of a company to repay its debts, uh, to cover its interest, and then to reinvest. So so basically, you look for a large company with a positive trend that whose whose profit relative to its interest expense and its profit relative to the amount of debt outstanding is satisfactory. Okay, so that's the business risk. So what kind of financial risk is, is matter of the amount of leverage taking on is, is uh, appropriate and what, what amount of leverage is too much in today's market? Right. Well, in, in the chapter on the strong horse, ben, I have benchmarks that, that uh, what would be too much for different rating classes. For example, uh, let's look at leverage, um, cash flow coverage of debt. If uh, if it's a double B company, then uh, the cash flow would be three and a half times. Uh, if it's a triple C company, uh, the, uh, the it should be only uh, two times. So so you want to have more cash flow relative to interest and relative to debt. Okay. And you can, so, you, there's a chapter in the book on that. Okay, and then uh, you, you have coverage ratios. How much they're covering the interest? What is a, a, a comfortable coverage well, ratio? So, so you subtract uh, your 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 uh, cash costs from your revenue to get at your your quote cash flow. So, if if the cash flow, let's say, is 100 million, and your interest expense is 110 million. You're not generating enough cash flow to cover your interest, and that's a very bad situation. And the the greater the coverage, the better. I try not to invest in companies whose cash flow is um, less than two times. You know, triple C company could be two times, double B company maybe three and a half times. So have you found cases where it looks bad, they're, they're not really covering, but then things turn around and it becomes a great bargain? Sure. So how can you spot yeah. something like that? Well, well, so, so you're doing a historical analysis first, and then, as you, you, you mentioned correctly, that, that uh, you then look, at, look to the future. And it, if it looks like, for example, that the, the company uh, – uh, is having a temporary problem, uh, you can take a risk and, and make an investment in that company. But, but again, that's for really professional investors, not for the individual investor. I mean, I've had situations where companies did not make their interest payment, and I didn't get into covenants, but you, covenants allow a company 30 days leeway to make that payment after it's due. And they would make that interest payment on the 29th day and then do some things to fully recover. And then the bonds can go from 20 to back to par. 
So it is possible to do that, but that's really more for professional investors than than uh, than individual investors. I, I would, you know, there's enough extra yield and a nice positive return uh, in companies that are going concerns that cover their interests well, don't have too much debt, have positive trends, and only offer, you know, a three four percent yield over investment grade and those those you can do quite well with that and 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 not not have the huge business risk and you can sleep well at nights you have in this case an example of a whole bunch of companies in the plastics and packaging business correct uh, is that the best way to do it is to when you're looking at companies do an industry and then see how the companies compare with each other in that industry as far as picking individual names you'd want to be correct. investing in that is absolutely the best way to do it. And that's the reason I included that chapter in the book. So you could create what's known as a comp sheet where you compare, you know, one company against another in all kinds of business ratios, financial ratios, revenue earnings, uh, debt, interest, as well as, uh, you can see what the, what the, the company's bonds are yielding, uh, what it's rated, and I actually have a graph where I show uh, the, the name of the company and its, its rating against its yield and do a comparison of one that's rated uh, very low, triple C, with, with a very high yield against one that's uh, rated high, a double B, with a very low yield. And I come to the conclusion that, the company with the low yield, Owens, Illinois, is far better than than the far riskier company with a very high yield. So in general, is that the way you come out? If you'd rather get a stronger financial company with a lower yield without as much risk, just take a lower rated, higher yielding company, it usually works out better in the long run? Uh, other things being equal, yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's far better to, to have... Uh, investment in a stronger company as long as the yield is adequate enough. Now, there there are times when uh, very strong companies could be yielding a lot because the market is is experiencing difficulty, you know, such as we had in 2008. And then there were times when you can buy very strong companies at low prices, uh, high yields, and uh, and, and that's that's a great time to invest. And where do we stand today in that spectrum? Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're not in that situation. Right now, we have uh, good companies not yielding much, and um, uh, yield levels are, are are could be better. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, if you have to do something as opposed to one and a half percent in treasury, you're kind of stuck with, 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 uh, with what you have now. But I you're would saying say yield levels yields are being not offered all that attractive right now. You say the yields today aren't as attractive as they have been, but they're certainly better than what you're getting in treasuries without that much extra risk. Exactly. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. Uh, he is the author of a new book called How to Make Money with Junk Bonds. Uh, there is a website uh, for this, which is How to Make Money with Junk Bonds uh, on the Facebook link uh, to find out more about it. And we'll be back after this.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Robert Levine. Uh, he's the author of How to Make Money with Junk Bonds. Uh, and there's a website for that, How to Make Money with Junk Bonds, uh, on a Facebook link. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Thank you. You have a section called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And so let's Correct. start with the good. What is the, the best kind of junk bond? Where would you find the good in the junk bond market? Well, good, good companies are companies that have low business risk, and low financial leverage. Uh, they're the strongest of the strong horses. Um, and, and I make the point in, in, this, in the book that good things happen to good companies. And so you, one does not have to invest in the highest yielding credits uh, in order to get the best return because there are, positive things happen to good companies. And, and let me uh, explain some of them. You know, the bonds can be upgraded by the rating agencies. When they get upgraded by the rating agencies, the bond price rises because uh, the yield falls in relationship to the higher quality company. Uh, at the time I wrote this, uh, in 2010, there were like $355 billion of companies that were upgraded and at that time, it's mostly energy companies. There's also uh, what happens, what I call rising stars, when a company gets upgraded from double B to triple B. So it goes from junk status to investment grade status. When that happens, there's a huge pop in the price. Um, another thing that a good company can happen to a good company is that it has access to the equity market. It can call its debt. It could tender for its debt because it, it can reissue debt at a lower price. Put together, these external events to good companies 
uh, in 2010 accounted for half a trillion dollars. So uh, a lot of money. When bonds get called, do they typically get called at par or above par? Um, when bonds get called, they uh, it depends on the call schedule. Many of them get called above par based on the call schedule. Typically, when, when junk bonds are issued, they have a call schedule, which is half the coupon in, uh, in five years, and then it, it uh, diminishes to, to par at, at maturity. So is that typical what happens is they get called at a bit of a premium? Yes. Roughly, what kind of premiums are there in these things when they get called? Well, you know, if, if the, uh, the premium could be uh, a five-point premium or a four-point, uh, if it's two years out, let's say it's a 10% coupon. So it would be, five, you know, 5% premium if it's called five years before maturity and a 4% if it's called four years before maturity. Down so it declines zero. every year. Uh-huh. Correct. Okay. And then with mergers and acquisitions, you say um, this is often good for junk bond holders because they'll get taken out at a premium as well? Right. You know, for for example, uh, a company could be acquired by an investment-grade company, which has a lower cost of capital. So uh, the acquiring company may want to refinance the existing debt and tender for the existing bonds, and sometimes the tender price could be 20, 20%, 20 points. So the bond has increased, the credit rating of the bond has increased a lot, and that's increased Correct. the value of it. Do, do they usually, like, keep it as a separate junk bond, or they kind of incorporate it into the existing debt structure of the acquiring company? Most of the time, they'll incorporate it into the existing debt of the acquired company. So you're but going from if, junk bond to credit to investment credit, um, grade in one leap. Yes. And even if they don't tender for the bonds or call them, it's it's an investment grade company. So if the bond was yielding, call it uh, 7.5%, and now it's yielding 5%, there'll be a huge increase in the price reflecting the lower yields. So are there some today that you would think in that category that uh, you know are, are possible takeovers where you could have a big increase uh, based on an investment grade company taking it over? Um, well, uh, I'm sure there are, but, uh, you know, once again, I'm, uh, uh, I'm not, I don't want to mention things like that on the radio. Okay, no problem. All right, so that's the good. And then the ugly and the bad are triple C investing, uh, stocks. So, right. What, what usually happens to triple C companies? Well, you know, triple C companies, as I said before, could be great investments or they could be lousy investments. And uh, what you want to do is, um, uh, uh, frankly, a lot of the return in triple C investing has to do with liquidity and timing. Uh, you want to invest in, in the triple C when the market is recovering and default rates are declining and the company's prospects are improving. Um, you know, triple C bonds, as, as I said, uh, are the first to decline at the first sign of trouble. They're the last to recover, and but when they recover, they recover with a vengeance. So, you, so when when they recovered after the 2008 fiasco, the, the 
triple C sector was returned more than 100% that year. Is that what you're looking for in 2008 in the midst of all the gloom and everybody thinking the world was coming to an end? Were you out there aggressively saying this is the time to be buying, you know, triple C's? Well, at that time, we, uh, we did have a hedge fund. We still do, but I'm retired. I'm not managing it anymore. And, and so, um, we, uh, there were triple C's that we liked that we purchased. But there were also a lot of very high-quality companies whose price had fallen because the market was out of favor and there was very little liquidity, and we invested in those as well. So when there's a lot of fear, that's a good time to buy uh, junk bonds because the spread's widen out is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. So right now we're, we have some fear, but not, it's not as overwhelming as 2008. There is not an overwhelming amount of fear at the moment. You know, one of the uh, – uh, so I would say the triple C sector would be the, the ugly and the bad, uh, but the um, there's one, the bad companies I define as those you should not buy. And in, those, in that case, uh, you have a company that has very high debt levels and very poor business prospects, and oftentimes – those companies are associated with product obsolescence. And I give an example of the Yellow Pages a company where uh, very few people look at the Yellow Pages to get a phone number for a business. Right now they'll, they'll use the web to, to get information far more than they will to, to look at the Yellow Pages. So Yellow Pages were a very profitable booming type of business first for the for the phone companies and then as independent junk bond companies owned by private equity uh, uh, buyers but the technology changed on them and they failed and you know Kodak was the same way so technology change has had a major impact on many corporations and, 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 you know, no, there's no amount of debt that will save them. I mean, they just, they just can't generate profits. Very good. In about the last minute we have, um, just kind of don't tell people briefly why they should be looking at the junk bond market in today's market. Well, I think that the, the junk bond market has proved itself to be resilient. It's proved to provide uh, competitive returns. Uh, both on an absolute basis and on a volatility basis, and it should it should be part of someone's portfolio. Indeed, very good. My guest has been Robert Levine. Uh, he's an expert on junk bonds. Uh, his new book is called How to Make Money with Junk Bonds. There is a website related to it, uh, which is the uh, Facebook page, How to Make Money with Junk Bonds, and he covers all the different things you need to get really quite high yields at a time when your yields on treasuries are one and a half percent and CDs and money market funds far below one percent. So it's certainly worth uh, looking into. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Robert. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.